everybody. Welcome to this sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. This is going to be a new sermon for you this weekend or whenever you decide to watch it, but I really hope that you do. Um, I was a little, I was kind of uh, pondering this in my mind. You know, I travel and speak and and then run into a lot of Christians here or church people and I kept throwing around in my mind, why don't, you know, when I, when I go places or I, I see people here or, and I see how their life is, yet they confess Christianity, I always wonder, why, why aren't they any different? Why isn't there a desire? And I'm not saying that everything about me is perfect, but there's one thing I can say and one thing I do know that I was really radically, I was born again. And when I was, it was a very radical transformation. I immediately just started to stop a lot of worldly things that I used to do all the time. Uh, I really began to watch the way I talked and stuff like that. And especially the amount of years I have into this, I should be at a place where I'm still fired up for God, and yet I have a passion to live holy. It seems like this message of holiness uh, in this day and age, people think it's like old school or it's archaic, or, you know, it's, uh, it, it has nothing to do with today. You know, you got to be progressive, and you got to fit in with what's going on. I don't believe the Bible talks about that. I believe that there, I heard somebody, I was listening to a Leonard Ravenhill sermon today, and uh, I heard him say something, he was talking to a good friend of his, David Wilkerson, who said, there's no prophets in the land today. In other words, there's nobody that's preaching, um, truth in the sense of repent, get your life right. You know, are you saved? Are you living like a Christian? You know, all that type of holiness type of preaching, um, I believe I do, but there's no prophets in the land. Everybody wants to call themselves a prophet, but it has nothing to do with what an Old Testament prophet was really used to do was they preach doom on nations and on people and to try to bring them to the point of realizing how bad they are and not how much they need God. And that's what we need in this nation. If this nation needs anything right now, it needs people who men of God who are in the pulpits, not just giving this uh, easy peasy, you know, self-serve and self-serve sermonettes and making everything easy for people and be blessed and prosper and all this stuff. People need to be held to account. Again, it's not old school. It's not mean. You do it in love because you're trying to help them either see that they're really not saved or if they are, start living like you are. Well, I say all that to kind of intro into where this sermon is going, and uh, I've titled this Counterfeit Spirituality, Counterfeit Spirituality, and I'm going to read in the book of John, and I'm going to read through verses, or chapter 8 in the book of John, I'm going to read through verses 23 through 30, John 8, 23 through 30. This is the words of Jesus talking to uh, these Jewish followers, and he's going to be pretty straightforward with them. He's going to be a real true talker here. He is going to let them have it because, well, we'll see. And and he he speaks truth. If you're if you try to fake it, he's going to preach truth to you. And I that's you know I'm sorry to say that's why I see a lot of. I've been doing this long enough. I think I have a right to say this, and I think I have a place to say it, and a position from which to speak it from. 
the church today, the evangelical church, has gotten so watered down, um, so emaciated, because it's led by men who have a fear of preaching real truth because they may lose their followers. So everything is about love and all that. And I get that. God's a God of love, but God loves people in a way also to call them to repentance. Because if you don't love people, you won't care about their eternity or you won't care about their soul. And that's where this comes from. John chapter 8, verses 23 through 30, we're going to talk about counterfeit spirituality. This is pretty heavy stuff. Um, I'm going to take my time. I have a lot of scripture verses to read, and I have a lot of statements to make. So let me get started. Jesus says, he said to them, these are the words of Jesus. He said, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as my Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Well, to set the, uh, put the setting in place here, this was the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jerusalem was crowded with religious Jews from everywhere. Jesus spent two days preaching in the temple. He slept, the first night he slept on the Mount of Olives and rose early in the morning to begin his teaching. And the big question in Jerusalem was, who is this man? You know, I, I wonder if you look behind the scenes and you think about the disciples who followed after Jesus when he was teaching and preaching to these people, you wonder if they became a little discouraged by all the unbelief and all the accusations of the scribes and the accusations, because they say they loved Jesus. So I'm sure it bothered them that they were accusing him and, and uh, the, the unbelief that followed. Uh, I wonder if they would say things to him like, it's hopeless, what are we staying here for? Um, they've shut you out. Let's move on. But on the second day, there seemed to be a spiritual breakthrough. It seemed the word might have finally been getting through. Like we read in John 8.30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Well, I'm sure that I would imagine, again, I think about behind the scenes. I would imagine that uh, that brought, you know, great excitement to his disciples. Maybe they were thinking, this is wonderful. You know, a breakthrough, the beginning of revival. I don't know. They're thinking this is something, something's happening here. Uh, today, Many pastors would ask no further questions. All they would have to say is, we believe in you. Um, they would say, they would ask no further questions. They would take them in immediately as new converts. They would be called Christians immediately. They would be told they were on their way to heaven. But not so with Jesus. Jesus discerned counterfeit faith. He discerned counterfeit spirituality. He knew something wasn't right something wasn't real, and something wasn't truthful. 
It's as if he said, hold everything. Not so fast with these so-called believers. They're not coming to me with their hearts. There is a lying spirit at work here. Let's judge it by the word. It's powerful. The truth is these, and I call them so-called believers, were actually liars. They were sin-bound liars. And then Jesus said to those Jews which supposedly believed on him, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. That's John 8, 31 and 55. Listen, Jesus Christ will have nothing to do with surface faith. I preached this a couple weeks ago, boasting only on the cross. I preached this a couple weeks ago about there, there is so much superficial faith. It's not about professing Christ. It's about having possession of Christ. There's a lot of people that profess him. There's a lot of people who say they go to church. A lot of people say they're Christians, but they're, they, what they have is a surface faith. Remember, the road to heaven is narrow. The road to destruction is wide. It says, and many will find it. You think everybody sitting in church, if this is you, then this is to you. You think everybody sitting in church is born again truly? You think everybody is true? They all confess Christ? If that's the case, then we have a very emaciated church filled with believers who are not living their lives like Christ because the church isn't making a difference right now. Everybody cries out for revival. Revival's not going to happen till the church gets itself together, till you got men who are called to be uh, you know, leaders in, these, uh, in churches and preaching the truth until they get down to be men of prayer and quit pandering to the needs of the people. From John 8.31 to the end of the chapter, we see Jesus coming down on these guys ruthlessly, exposing their hypocrisy, showing them that their so-called belief in him had not even touched their hearts. And that's, that's a major issue here. Has it touched your heart? Does your heart have a change in it because his word has touched your heart? This particular chapter opened my eyes up to what is going on in the church today. The same thing is happening in these last days. Counterfeit spirituality, counterfeit conversions. I had someone posted a video on Facebook or sent me a video or whatever it was of some guy that preached in Tulsa, one of the Word of Faith guys, so-called evangelist or whatever. And he said, look at all these people coming down the altar. Listen, I've been around this long enough. Look at all, they're all being saved. I'm thinking, they're not. You don't even know if any of them are getting saved. A lot of them may be coming down to have a hands laid on them or be prayed because they're going through a problem. But we call everybody, we call everybody born again who walks down to an idol. And we produce counterfeit conversions. We tell them, you're saved, go home, you're okay now. When we don't know if they really believed or not. Nobody lays out the challenge yet. There's a cost to this. There is a cost to following Christ. That's that sermon, the cost of discipleship. There's a cost to this. And uh, we see a lot of this counterfeit stuff going on, I believe, in the body of Christ, in the church, I should say, in the church today. Uh, these have resulted in uh, to bringing into the church a counterfeit spirituality that is satanic in origin. I believe it is satanic. The gospel has been so watered down that, man, it's almost, it, it seems as if even demons could belong to many of the churches. They could amen much of the preaching that goes on in churches today. Remember, James wrote, you believe that God is one, you do well. 
Even the demons believe and shudder, James 2, 19. And I ask the question, why is there no more difference between the ungodly and the church? What happened to separation coming out from among them or sitting in the seat of the scornful? We got people that are in church calling themselves men and women of God, calling themselves believers, and they still continue to sit in the seat of the scornful. Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, he would cry out probably today, like he said in Isaiah 56, verses 10 through 11. He said this, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. And that's the problem. There's no more bark in the pulpit. Nobody gets in the pulpit and calls anybody to account in the way they live their lives. Because if you live your life right, you're going to be more effective for the kingdom of God. We've lost God's holy watchdogs, those who would chase away demonic powers, fearlessly crying out against compromise. They cannot bark. I remember preaching a message on compromise when we were pastoring and had a, a group of people sitting in front of us. I remember the faces. These are supposed to be believers. They should have been amening. They should have been right or, or at least letting that affect them so they would change. Man, I saw people actually, in, I literally saw people getting mad. You know, they, th their faces, they were stunned because it was a hardcore, straightforward message on the cancer of compromise. Listen, we need, I, I want to be one of those who bark from the pulpit, who are a watchdog in these last days. Listen, pastors now, leaders now, speakers now, preachers now, they are asleep, they're lazy on sin, and while they slept, the enemy crept in and planted a counterfeit gospel. Ooh, man. And Jesus has revealed to us, he's revealed to us in John 8, how to tell what is a counterfeit spirituality. And it's distinguished by three particular characteristics. First, it's a blindness to their own bondage and slavery. So when Jesus told these so-called believers that they couldn't be his disciples, unless they allowed his word to break their sins, they got offended. Jesus warned them, you can be my disciples only if you continue in my word until you are free from all slavery. You are not free. You're bound. Your belief must include obeying my word. They were slaves to sin, but they would not admit it. Tell me you don't see that going on in churches today. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. In the Greek, it would be better interpreted this way. Whosoever practices or continues in sin is sin's service, servants. So the Lord tries to show them he wants more from them than costless mental belief because he wants to make them true sons and daughters. But you can't truly become a son and daughter if you can't admit to yourself that you're not right with God. And you're going to try to fake it until you make it. But if you fake it, you won't make it. You're going to fall short and you're not going to be on that narrow road that leads to eternal life. So in their minds, they're already sons of God, though, because they would say things like, God is our father bondage, slavery to sin, us, us, never. We were never in bondage. How could you say such a thing? They could say, Master, you told Nicodemus, who was one of us, whosoever believeth in you shall not perish, but have ever everlasting life. So we believed. Isn't that enough? Jesus could have said back to them, there was more I told Nicodemus. 
you have not taken to heart all my word. I also said, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John 3, 19 through 21. According to Jesus, no one is a true believer until the word has a place in their heart, until the word is both a hope and a terror to his soul, until he is committed to obey every word proceeding out of the mouth of God, until the word exposes and breaks the bondage of all sin, all tradition, and all false doctrines. To these believers, Jesus said, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Listen, he is the word. The word was made flesh. He's saying to them, you cannot be a doer of my word because you have never laid down your sin. You still take your orders from Satan. You do that which you have seen your father, the devil do. John 8, 38 through 47. Look it up for yourself. Read it and study it. A second situation here is a majority of church going believers have never been saved. Some people would say, how can you say that? We're going to get to the aspect of judging in a minute, but many people say, how can you see? Because I've seen this. You see people's lives that are so worldly, so ungodly, yet they still go to church. I think a lot of people go to church around the area that I'm in, in this Texas suburban area of North Dallas. I think a lot of them go to church to kind of do their moral thing, have their kids in some kind of a place that gives them somewhat of a moral compass. I don't believe everyone that goes there. I don't care how great the pastor thinks he is or how great they think he is or what big name he has. It doesn't matter. There's people sitting there today or Sunday mornings who are not born again and they're fooling themselves and they're not allowing themselves to see that they are in unbelief. Listen, so many churchgoers have never been touched by the convicting word of God. That's why when I started this off, I said, I've been pondering, why don't people change? Because the word has never touched their heart. The word has never touched their heart. So in a sense, they have never been born again. That would actually bring true transformation in their life. They've never been convicted by the word of God. They've never allowed it to move on their heart and bring them to some kind of change. They're still slaves to their old ways, their old habits, and their old friends. And they still have not changed one iota. They still have one foot in the world. They are living a lie and putting Christ to open shame. They do Jesus and the cause of Christ great harm. They are unable to see that they are bound. Someone says, man, that's pretty straightforward. It, yes, 
and they become angry if you try to show them that they are going to be cast out as unprofitable servants. I've seen that with my own lot with my own eyes in trying to lead people as a pastor and shepherd them on Sunday mornings and preach some sermons to them that I, I've never preached fluffy things. I've never preached things that are just soft sell sermonettes. I've always preached truth. I've always come straightforward with people. And I used to watch people literally get mad because they think I'm I'm judging them somehow. It's not me. It's the word of God trying to bring conviction, but they walk out no different than they were when they walked in because they're not willing to admit to themselves they are living in unbelief and that the word has never truly touched their heart. They're going to hell thinking they are believers. They are damned by deception, trusting in false doctrines of security. It's all a big lie and it's the worst kind of counterfeit Christianity. There has been no surrender. There's been no separation. There's no heartbreak over sin. There's no laying down the past life. Jesus tells it like this. You people really don't want my word. You don't tremble at it. You don't hear it. You don't stop and let that sink in. It means nothing to you. You people think you are my disciples, but you're not. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15. They had no sense of need then. They have no sense of need now. To them, there's no need to repent. There's no need to change. Nothing to lay down. Nothing to forsake. They simply pick up all their worldly ways and try to follow Jesus. He's not seen as an emancipator to set them free, but he's just one that will add into their life, enhance their talents, open doors, bless, and add new dimension to their careers. They pray for God to make them successful. They are blind and they are lost, and their eternity is not going to be a place called heaven. Third, they won't even believe Jesus when he calls them fornicators and idolaters. Listen, Jesus boldly spoke in John 8, 41. What you are doing is of the devil. All these deeds you think are God approved are deeds of the father of lies. You do the deeds of your father. Again, John 8, 41. They became indignant with words like, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So listen to their excuses. We are doing nothing wrong. We are not evil. We love God. We see absolutely nothing wrong in doing these things. The devil is not in us. He is not directing us. The Spirit of God is in us. We are children of God. We are special and we are chosen. Jesus doesn't buy it. He says, I made it clear who my children are. My sons are free from all ties to this world. My sons are not unequally yoked with unbelievers. My sons have no fellowship with the unrighteous. My sons have no communion with workers of darkness. My sons refuse to take my temple into dens of idolatry. My sons are separated from this world. They do not touch the unclean thing. See Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. They said, we are not committing adultery. God speaks to us. They were hopelessly blind to their horrible sin. People today are hopelessly blind to their horrible sin. Jesus then seems exasperated with them. And John 8, 43 says, why do you not understand my speech? In other words, why isn't my word convicting you? Why can't you hear such plain, simple words? 
because you cannot hear my word. Again, John 8, 43. Listen, here's a problem. They were past hearing. Their ears were shut. Why could, they not, why could they not hear and understand? Why could they not understand that Jesus was saying to them, they were the devil-directed idolaters, but man, they're going to lie to themselves and make up all kinds of excuses. Jesus said to them, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. John 8, 47. Jesus warns that all idolatry among so-called believers is personally directed by the devil. Jesus said it himself. Immediately after telling these so-called believers that they were not hearing the truth, he tells them where their direction is coming from. John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So I ask this, in all kindness, I may seem like I'm coming harsh, but I do this in kindness for you. I ask you this, who told you that it's okay to sit for hours drinking in the filth in front of the television set? Who told you that it's not idolatry to watch shows that are totally corrupt? Was it Jesus who told you that? It's okay to watch a few bloody, violent, sensual movies. You're a mature believer. You won't get hooked. Who said it? Who put you at ease? Get rid of all the outside influences, people. Is it the devil preaching this to you right now? Is this a word from the Holy Spirit that tells you to wake up? If it is of God, if what I'm saying is of God, and if you are of God, you will hear this, you'll believe it, you'll act on it, and you'll be changed by it. That's the truth. Who told you it's okay to flirt with another man's wife or someone else's husband? Who told you it's okay to walk out on your vows? Who told you it's okay to bring ungodly videos into your home? Who told you it's okay to slip out occasionally and party? Was it God or was it the devil? Let me tell you what shakes my soul today. Jesus is speaking to those confessing to be believers, saying, you are of the devil. You are doing the lusts of your father. When it came down to it. Jesus didn't cut corners. He doesn't put up with the counterfeit. He doesn't put up with the falsehood of lying to yourself and not admitting that you are sitting in unbelief and then acting like you're holy and like you know the Father. And he's basically asking him, are you blind to what you're doing? Making excuses like, I'm not wicked. I'm not an idolater. I'm not an idolater. Listen, the hatred that they have towards him should have been directed towards their own sin and directed towards their own sin was directed against reproof. Let me read that again. The hatred that should have been directed towards their own sin was directed against reproof. The hatred that should have been directed towards their own sin was directed against reproof. They tried to switch the blame by crying, don't judge. And that's a big one for today. Then answered the Jews, 8, John, 8, 4, John 8, 48 and 53. They an then answered the Jews and said to him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Folks, this is the devil. This is device that dev the devil uses today, still uses it, and he uses it to cover up sin. What they're saying to Jesus basically is this. You are the one who is wrong. 
We are not led by Satan. You are. It is the devil urging you to judge us. It is a sin to judge. Who are you to judge us? We know we are of God. This is a clever device being used by the devil even in these last days to cover up many false doctrines. He uses up uses it to cover up secret sins in the pulpit and in the pew. The cry everywhere today is don't judge. Satan is trying to hinder unity. It is a sin to judge. Holiness preachers are in the wrong. They are self-styled judges. This type of preaching is wrong. Jesus is the word and was judging and reproving their sin. And instead of letting the word purge and heal them, they protected their pride and kept their sin. Yes, the Bible says don't judge. But let me, let me correct all this right now. Don't judge after the flesh, Jesus said. You judge after the flesh. I judge no man that way. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. I have many things to say and to judge of you. Again, in the book, of, in the chapter of John 8, Paul said in Ephesians 5.11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Paul went on to say in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Satan's great priority today is to silence all reproof. It's just like the left tries to silence everything that those who are against all that liberal junk Every time we want to say something, they want to shut our reproof against them. Devil wants to shut the mouths of all the prophets and all the watchmen and to discredit all preaching against sin by saying it is too judgmental. I have seen this in my own life. I have seen people react to this. Again, his great priority, the devil's great priority is to silence all reproof, to shut the mouths of all true prophets and watchmen and to discredit all preaching against sin by saying it is too judgmental. They'd rather go to a church where the guy just preaches, just, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to even say what it is. It's not even the word of God. It's just, it's um, self, it's like motivational talk. It's like self-help talk. And they'd rather go there because it itches, it, it, it itches their ears and that's what they want to hear. So they pick people that will do that, that will itch, itch their ears and tell them what they want to hear. With Paul, we say the same thing with Paul. We watch for your souls as they that must give account. Hebrews 13, 17. Another, another set of verses, Titus 1, 10 through 13 says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, the, this witness and true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Man, does that need to be done today. Rebuke 
them sharply that they may be sound in faith. I have watched a couple videos of uh, very sound theological people who they believe part of their calling in ministry is to call out false teachers. And there's some people, oh, you shouldn't do that. You know, they're your brother. Well, listen, it's, it even says it in the word of God, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. It's all coming from, if they do it in love and it's not literally an angry judgment, but they're doing it in a holy judgment, it's a whole different thing. They're trying to do it to get them back on the path that they're running away from, get their lives right with God. Listen, to judge after the flesh is to judge vindictively, but to judge righteously is to judge redemptively. To judge after the flesh is to judge vindictively. To judge righteously is to judge redemptively. And man, people want to shut the mouths of men who preach on sin because people don't want to hear it because they want to play with their sin. They want to play in the world and then go to church on Sunday and act like everything is okay. Listen, what I'm doing here and this type of thing, it is born out of love. First, of love for the word and then of love for those you weep for because we see them in danger. We see, I see you in danger. Holy judging, true holy judge, judging comes from a broken heart. It says, I tell you the truth so you can be free and greatly used by God. Jesus had to tell them the truth that they were hypocrites, liars, fornicators, children of Satan, and blind. Yet his love for them was so strong, even though they got so angry, it says in John 8, 59, they took up stones to cast at him. These were the people that said they believed in him. Now they're so mad at him because of what he's bringing into the truth he's bringing into their lives. They took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus, even to this final, to his final day, he wept over them. He kept coming back, beseeching, begging, pleading, and wooing them to get their life right, to come to him, to believe in him as the savior of their life. I asked the Holy Spirit to give me the key to understanding this eighth chapter of John. And it's as simple as this. The counterfeit believer is one who won't let go of his life while the true believer holds nothing back from Jesus. Counterfeits believe in Jesus, that he is God. They accept all the word, but they never act on the word. The word never affects their heart. The word does not affect them in the least. It's possible to believe in Jesus, yet not confess him to the world. Let me read you an example in John 12. Among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, put out of a job, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I close with these statements. May God help us to be honest before him and give us a willingness to be searched and reproved by his word. Listen, y'all, the world needs the witness of true spirituality, true holiness without any mixture of hypocrisy. And I ask the Lord, I know for me personally, to use me in these last days. This is, this is who I am. 
This is what I believe, and, and people know me this way, and I'm not going to water anything down to try to get more followers or, or more people on the on the uh, you know on your list of, of supporters. You know, it, I, we've got to be true to what God has called us to do. And I believe this land needs true prophets, not guys running around thinking they're, you know, prophets, but true prophets of, like of the Old Testament who preach doom on nations, who preach doom on people to get them to repent and get their lives right. So I ask you today, if you don't know Christ, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. I ask you, has the word really had an effect on your life? If the word has not had an effect on your life, you need to really ask yourself, am I truly born again? Is your life different now than it was when you confessed Christ as a savior of your life? If it's not, there is a problem. You need to ask yourself, is my life right with Christ? We need to stop this counterfeit spirituality producing these counterfeit conversions. We need true spirituality. We need true holiness without any mixture of hypocrisy. Amen. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just come before you right now and I thank you for these words you gave me the ability to share with these people, God. I pray today the hearts would be open to receive the truth of your word, that there's people out there that would see themselves right now as people who have been lying to themselves. They've actually seen themselves get angry at the truth. They've actually seen themselves get angry when someone preaches to them about sin and you're in sin and get out of sin and deal with sin. I pray, Father God, their hearts would be broken today. As I share this with them, I, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that their hearts would be broken about their own lives today, and they would make great decisions to truly believe in you, Jesus, as the Lord of your life, to begin to obey the word, to begin to let the word of God affect them in everything they do. We pray for a great outpouring of the Spirit upon the lives of people who are watching this. And we pray truly, God, that there will be revivals in their hearts. Their hearts would be set ablaze again to serve you and to love you and to be someone who truly obeys you and someone who truly lives in holiness, no hypocrisy, true spirituality. They will step out of that counterfeit spirituality and they will step into a true and right relationship with you. I thank you for these things and we give you the glory and the honor and praise for them in Jesus name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Man, God bless you. I hope this has been a blessing to you. You need to listen to it. Somebody else needs to hear this. You need to send it on to them so they can hear it and their life can be challenged. And maybe they too can turn their lives around by allowing the heart to really and truly be open to Christ. No more counterfeit. We're believing for true spirituality in Christ. Amen. Until next time, live all out for Jesus. Amen. God bless you.